it's Father's Day, and I'm not really talking about Father's Day. I hadn't planned to, but actually I am talking about our Father, and I'm going to be talking about his goodness. It's the goodness of God. The goodness of our Father is what I want to talk about this morning. We moved to Solihull uh, three months ago, just over, and it's been an expensive exercise. We have moved into a more expensive house because it's more expensive to live here. It's more expensive to have council tax here. You have a more expensive house and it seems to be more expensive to heat. Um, We moved in and after two days the boiler broke. Um, So we had to pay to fix that. When we left our old house, we had to pay for a new boiler two weeks before we moved and a thousand pounds worth of electrical stuff so we could move. It's been an expensive business. Pam now has a commute to work and her car broke last week. Beyond economical repair. So we had to buy a new one yesterday. It's been an expensive few months. But you know what? God is good. In each of those things that cost us money, it made me just a little bit more grumpy each time. (laughs) But you know what? I know you you can't even believe that I would get grumpy. Some people do know I get grumpy. But you know what? God is good. Now, at this point, some may say, well, yeah, God is good. I've got my health. I've got a roof over my head. I've got a lovely family. I've got amazing things. I've got an incredible church that I'm part of. But none of those things, as good as they are, and yes, they are from God, none of those things are the things that make God good. God is good because he is good. It's not dependent on what you've received. It's not dependent on what you feel. No matter what, God is good. And that is the basis we're starting from this morning. That God is good. It's an intrinsic part of his nature. It's part of his character. He can't be anything other than good. Whatever's going on around us. If you had nothing, God is still good. If everything was suddenly taken away from you, God is still good. Now, my examples there were quite trivial. Um should have done this before, but I always end up doing this during. Because I start to get warmed up. And I start to get excited. Those examples there of what some may call suffering, they're not really, but they're quite trivial. I've suffered worse than that. And I'm sure that you have too. And maybe you are now as well. But no matter what you've suffered or what you will suffer, God is still good. And I want to build a case for that this morning. That even in the midst of things going wrong, even in the midst of suffering, even when things aren't going to plan, that God is good. And I also want to show us that there's a connection between the goodness of God and his manifest glory. That his presence and his goodness go together. Now, we often use that word manifest and uh, we throw it around. It's one of those words that you get into church and you throw around. It's a manifest presence of God. It's the manifest glory of God. 
well, let's see what the dictionary means by manifest, and then we can kind of go from there. Because I think sometimes we, we just use these words and get used to them. The dictionary says this of the word manifest. To make clear or evident to the eye or the understanding. To show plainly or to prove, to put beyond doubt or question. So when I say that the goodness of God is linked to his manifest presence or his manifest glory, what it means is the glory or the presence of God that makes it beyond question that he's here, beyond doubt that he's here. It makes it evident or plain to see that he is with us. That's what it means. That's what I mean by that. So it's when God's manifest presence becomes real to us. See, God is always with us by his Holy Spirit. Whatever you feel like, God is with us. But there are times, and it's often when the church is gathered, that he comes in a different way and manifests his glory, his presence, that makes it beyond doubt or question. And we experienced that this morning. Because God is good. But we'll look more at that bit later. So the first place we're going to look to understand the goodness of God is the Bible. Amazing, isn't it? The Bible. Now, apologies, I've got no slides. I seem to make this apology every time I preach. I just run out of time in the end. Um, Sometimes I also run out of inclination, but it it was... (laughs) A PowerPoint's not nice, is it? What, to work with? No, that's what I mean. From my perspective, it just isn't nice. But anyway, sorry. I don't have slides, so you have to bear with me as I read out the the parts of the Bible. So Mark chapter 10. We're going to visit quite a few bits of the Bible. um, But the first one is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. And it says this. And as he was setting out on a journey, that's Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So when the man ran up to Jesus and said this, he wasn't commenting on his quality of teaching. When he called him good teacher, it's not because you're good at explaining things and teaching things. He was saying he was a teacher and he was good. And Jesus' answer is amazing. The answers of Jesus to questions are always just superb. Because they're normally a question. You see, Jesus didn't say, no, no, not me, don't. I'm not good. You know how we do? Oh, no, 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 it's not. It's quite self-effacing. Jesus wasn't like that. He said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, what Jesus was... what. What Jesus was saying here, or what he wasn't saying, he wasn't saying, no, I'm not good. He was actually saying, I am good, and guess what? I am also God. You see, he's saying, only God alone is good, so why do you call me that? What he was actually saying was, yeah, you call me that because I am good, and I am God. He was, talk- he was actually saying, I am God. I am here with you as God. And because of that, I am good, and you can call me good. Into the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 41. We're going to come back to Chronicles later as well. And uh, it says here, And now arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. This is when 
uh, Solomon was dedicating the temple and the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, was being brought in. Go to your resting place, you and the Ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. We're told that the saints, and we are now, because of what Jesus did, bringing us into his family, we are now with them in that. We are the saints. Rejoice in the goodness of God. So the Bible is saying here, God has a goodness that we can rejoice in. Let's look at another passage. One more here. Back into the New Testament. Titus, chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. I love this phrase here. This phrase is amazing. Um, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared. What he's saying here was, the goodness of God appeared to us as a person. Jesus. What an amazing phrase that is. That actually Jesus was the manifestation, the making real, the being present with us, the proving of God's goodness here on earth. When he came physically, he was just the presence of God and the goodness of God here for us. That's wonderful, just in that one little phrase. And when that goodness appeared, what happened? He saved us. Not because of anything we've done, but by his mercy. The goodness of God is merciful enough to save us. Nothing we could do about that. We couldn't save ourselves. He saved us by his goodness. And that goodness physically came in the presence of the person of Jesus. So I think we understand that the Bible says that God is good. That God is good. And there are lots more examples. I just picked out a few. Otherwise, we'd have never got past that bit. So I'm, I'm having to move on now. But how do we equate that with our own experience? How is the goodness of God manifest, there's that word again. You see, I thought, I've used it so many times, I had to explain it first. How is the goodness of God made real, manifest, made clear in our own lives when things don't always go to plan? Things go wrong. We suffer. How, how is that the goodness of God? Well, that kind of depends on how we view goodness. What do we mean by goodness? We know God is good. The Bible's told us that. But what does the goodness of God look like? Psalm 23, verses 5 and 6 say this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David wrote this psalm, and he said, surely goodness and mercy are always going to follow us. 
David's convinced of the goodness of God. He's convinced it follows us all the time. But David knew, as we know, that things don't always go right. We get things wrong. The plans change. We suffer. In fact, David said, it's like a great feast in the presence of our enemies. He was, he was under no illusion that the goodness of God followed him all the time. You see, if God is always good, and if God can only be good and can't be anything other than good, then we need to make sure our definition of goodness is right so we understand his goodness and what that means as things go wrong. As we deal with disappointment and pain. You see, the goodness of God means that God will do all that he can to bring us to where he wants us to be. And he will do everything for our good. The goodness of God means he has a plan for us, he has something for us, and he will do what it takes to get us from where we are to where we need to be. And sometimes that means we have to go through experiences and things that are not nice in order for us to change to be where God wants us to be in his plan. Let me give you an example. As you will already know, I love cycling. I love riding my bike. And um, if I have something called a sportive, which is an organised event, which you do with thousands of others, it's not a race, which is just as well, because I'm not as fast as some, not as young as some of them, um, you prepare for it. And uh, if I've got a 100-mile event coming up, I will need to train for it. Because fitness goes up and down over the course of a year. And you have to hit your peak. I'm not sure I've ever hit my peak. <laughs> but you have to be ready for it. So if I went out this afternoon, I will go out on my bike this afternoon. It's Father's Day. I get to set the agenda. I'm going out on my bike. That's, that's how I interpret it. Is, it, is that not right? Um, and then the family come around later and we all eat together. Um, I would fail 100 miles at this moment in time. My body's not ready. I need to go through various things to get me to the point where I can do that. I need to put in some training. I need to put in some time. But if I tried to do it this afternoon and failed, I'd feel terrible about it. I'd feel bad. I might not ever want to go out and try it again. It might put me off doing it because I'm not ready. So I build up my fitness. I go through the pain barrier. Muscle fibers get broken down and rebuilt stronger than they were before so I can then do what I plan to do. God's plan for your life is like that. He's good, but he knows that he's got things for you in the future that you're not quite ready for yet. He wants to... See, you go through various things in order to break down the things that shouldn't be there, to build up the things that should be there stronger so you can do all that he's got for you. Yeah. He's got good things for you, good plans for you, but it might be that you're not ready for those yet. The timing's not ready yet. But because he's good, he will have them for you and get you ready for them. He doesn't want you to fail at the things he's got for you. He doesn't want you to get hurt and be put off ever even trying them. God is good. 
And so he allows us to go through things. It's definitely my experience, my journey to being at this point in my life here in Jubilee. Some bits of me needed breaking down and reforming stronger. But having said that, don't fall into the trap of thinking all of what I'm doing now is just getting ready for the future and what's happening now isn't important. It is important because actually God will have taken you through previous things to get you ready for what you're doing now. And then what you're doing now will get you ready for what's coming next. God is always preparing you, moving you on, making you stronger, building you up, putting more into you, making you more like Jesus. Because he is good. So don't dismiss what you're doing now as just training for the future. Don't dismiss what you've done in the past as not being good enough. It was what God had for you then. And even if it felt, and I've gone through this, even if, if it felt like what you did before wasn't good enough and didn't work and failed, it didn't. It was what God had for you then and took you to where you could go then in readiness for where you could go next. There is no waste in God's kingdom. Don't just be looking for the next thing. Actually, know that God is using you now in the right place, doing the right thing for him. He doesn't waste in his kingdom. The training analogy only works so far because the training is just training for getting ready. But what you're doing now is not just training, but it is training you. You see, God doesn't want us to be hurt. God doesn't want us to suffer. But he knows that sometimes he has to allow it to knock the edges off, to get us ready to, to move us on. So actually, suffering is a mark of God's goodness because eventually we benefit from it. It's good for us because God can't be anything other than good. So when we suffer, it's the goodness of God for us. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me, it's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. God does this, allows us to go through this because he loves us and he's good to us. It doesn't always feel like that at the time, but it's true. And we'll talk more about that later. Remember, we only understand this partially. We don't get all of it. God is bigger than our understanding Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. I don't want a God I can fully understand. Because if I've got a God I can fully understand, then he's not much of a God. Because that would make him very, very small indeed, because my understanding is very, very small indeed. We've got a God who's bigger than our understanding. We don't know all that he's got for us. We don't know everything about him, and we won't. In fact, we've got eternity to just keep on understanding more about God. It's going to take eternity for us to just explore everything about God. So when we can't see the goodness of God in our situation, it's more because our understanding of God isn't all that it could be. And sometimes, this is why this is a faith. This is why 
what we have here is a faith. We go, okay, God is good. I will accept that by faith. I don't understand it, but I'm going to say it because I know it's true and let the rest work its way out. And sometimes it takes someone else to point out the goodness of God in our situation. I think, I don't know whether it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, Ruth um, Chipperfield. I had, I had to check your surname because I thought, oh no, we've got more than one Ruth. <laughs> I, I, and I think I've got this right. But Ruth came up and said, it always seems easier for someone else to say that God is good rather than saying it ourselves. As soon as she said, I wrote it down quickly, thought, yeah, I can use that. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, Actually, sometimes we don't see the goodness of God in our situation, but God has blessed us in his goodness by putting us with others who see it and can encourage us in that. When we came to Jubilee, we weren't in a, way, we weren't in a place to see God's goodness in the situation at the time. And uh, Rob said to, said to us, this is God's plan. He's got more for you. He's got bigger things and better things, and he's going to use this. And I went, yeah, okay. <laughs> said all the right things nodded yes, yes inside going no, no but he was right God uses these moments these things to take us forward we don't see it until afterwards and sometimes we take it on faith and we listen to others and just let God carry us through that moment but there's something else that helps us through this. There's something else. There's another way God shows us his goodness. And that is his manifest presence. Remember we said God's manifest presence is when his presence becomes real to us in a way we can't deny. I want us to look at a couple of Old Testament passages so I can explain here what I'm getting at. First one is Exodus 33, verses 18 to 23. And Moses is in front of God. He's talking to God. Exodus 33, 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you can't see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. Moses asks God, show me your glory. What does God say? I will make my goodness pass before you. Then, in chapter 34, verse 5 to 7, it happens. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God 
passed by Moses in all his goodness and his glory. There was a link there between goodness and glory. Show me your glory. Here's my goodness. That's what happened. And then God passed by him in his glory. And as he did that, God announced who he was. And it was a list of characteristics of his goodness. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What we see here is summed up by a phrase that Rob used recently. The manifestation of his glory is in the revelation of his goodness. The manifestation of God's glory is in the revelation of God's goodness. I'll explain that a bit in a moment. But let's have a look at another example. This is back to two chronicles. This is when the, the temple had been built and Solomon was there dedicating the temple to God. 2 Chronicles 5, verses 13 and 14. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, here's what they sang, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. They were singing of God's goodness and God's glory came to the point where they couldn't even stand in his presence. The priests could not stand. The glory came like a cloud. It was physical. The glory of God came in a way that was physical and manifested itself physically among them so they couldn't even stand in the presence of God. Why? Because they sang of his goodness. The understanding of God's goodness was revealed then in his glory. They worshipped. The goodness of God is revealed to them and they experience it in his glory. There is a link between the understanding of God's glory and the coming of his presence and his glory coming. Uh, the, the understanding of God's goodness and his glory coming. And we see it again in Psalm 65, first four verses, where it says, Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Here it is. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near, so bring into your presence to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. That verse 4, blessed is the one in your presence, says in your house, but that's God's presence to dwell together. Blessed is the one um, in your presence. Then we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the goodness of you, the goodness of your presence, the goodness of your glory. It is the goodness of God that, uh, that has allowed us to come and worship him 
and therefore be in his presence. God's goodness is revealed to us. We worship him and we experience his glory. So in the last few minutes, let's draw all of this together then and see where it leaves us and what it means for us. The goodness of God is revealed to us every day. Every day. In all of the things that God does for us. Every breath that we have. Every breath we take, every move we make is what came to mind. (laughs) That's what came to mind. But in everything we do, the goodness of God is revealed to us. It's an old song for those of you who don't know. Um, It is quite old. It is quite old. (laughs) In everything we do, God's goodness is revealed to us, but it's not those things that make God good, is what we said. But actually, it's because God is good that we experience those things. But God's goodness is also revealed to us when we suffer because we know he's changing us and making us more like him. He's training us. He's discipling us, disciplining us. Job 5.17, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves, who God disciplines. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Hebrews 12, chapter 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peace of fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I've said this in the past. Don't be worried about the word discipline there. Discipline is not necessarily how we often use it as, right, that's it, telling you off. Actually, discipline, disciple, very similar words. We're being discipled. We're being changed. doesn't necessarily mean you've done something wrong. It just means you're being changed. Welcome it as the goodness of God in your life. Let's get a right understanding of the goodness of God in our lives by accepting the way he's changing us. And then we come back to that phrase. The manifestation of, of his glory is in the revelation of his goodness. As we go through these trials, the goodness of God is revealed to us and then we see more of the manifestation of his glory. We're being changed by God for his purposes. Hebrews 12.6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If you're going through difficult times, it's because God loves you. He loves you enough to allow you to go through it so he can make you into who he wants you to be. So you can do the things he has prepared for you. This is one of the reasons that I believe that as a church over the last however many months we've been just experiencing the glory of God, his presence on us during our times together is because we have a group of people here who are willing to change for him. You see, I want this to be an encouragement. That actually, I believe that God has found a group of people who are willing to change for him to be part of his plan and his purpose. People who are willing to lay everything down for him. People who have suffered and changed and who have been willing to change for God's purposes. 
I believe God has found a people, that's us, that's you, that are willing to do that, willing to go, God, whatever it takes to be in your will. And God says, yeah, they're my people. I'm coming amongst you. I'm revealing through my goodness, my glory and my presence. And I believe that's why we've been seeing that. God wants a people like that. It's not just a people who are coming together because they've got a few things in common and got not, not, not really got anything else to do on a Sunday morning. It's better than washing the car. Um, you know, um, That's not why we're here, is it? We're here because we want to be in the presence of God together because he's changed us. He's changing us. We've got his mark on, upon us. And God loves that. And God says, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming to that. I'm coming to that. Here's my presence. Here's my glory. Because it's, and it spurs us on to more. It's not just about individuals either. This is about the gathered people, the church. And all the work that went on years ago before we were ever here on the culture of this place, of the people, of the church. I believe God is honouring that and saying, because of what you've been willing to do as a people together, the way you've been willing to treat one another, the way you've supported one another, the things you've done for one another, the things you're willing to do for one another, I will come and manifest my presence amongst you. I just believe it's an endorsement of what God has seen in his people. Because God's good. And he wants you to know his goodness. He wants his goodness to be upon you. He wants you to know it clearly, obviously. So if you're going through a tough time, and you're thinking, what is this all about? However long that's lasted, God is saying, it's because I'm good and I want to reveal to you my presence and my glory. And I want to take you on to the next thing and to the next thing because I've got a plan for you and I'm never leaving you. I'm never forsaking you. It is God's goodness to you. That is why. And we can support one another in that. We can love one another through that. Because God's purposes and his goodness have been revealed through that. We are going to worship God again, just for a few moments. Because I think it's the appropriate response to God's goodness. We're going to sing of his goodness. And um, we're going to respond. And if you're in a position where you're not feeling the goodness of God in a sort of happy, smiley kind of way, which I am at the moment, and it's lovely. But that's only on the other side of when I wasn't. But if you're not feeling like that, I'd ask you to still sing of God's goodness as a statement of faith that actually God is good and I'm going to sing of his goodness because I know in doing that his presence is revealed to me 
His glory is revealed to me. Let's worship God. So I just want to finish with this. Um, We're not saying, obviously, that God sends suffering to us. But he does allow it. You know, God is the ultimate recycler. Did you know that? We're talking about environmental stuff. God is the ultimate recycler. He uses every single part of the rubbish of our lives for our good. He's the ultimate recycler. And, uh, you know, when you break a leg, your leg is actually stronger afterwards. He's the ultimate strengthener. And he's totally for us. But it doesn't mean we've got a kind of passive attitude to suffering either. No, we we believe that in his kingdom there's no death, there's no crying, there's no sighing, there's no sickness. And that's our job, to bring that. Part of our job as the church, as the people of God, is to reverse suffering in the world. Did you know that? That's part of our commission from God. 